California experiences rolling blackouts again in the midst of a record heat wave. Protests continue to break into violence in major cities while Democrats continue to praise Jacob Blake and President Trump vows to stop the 1619 Project and federal indoctrination in critical race theory. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't let others track what you do. Keep yourself safe at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We're going to get to all the breaking news in just one moment. First, let's talk about the fact that this weekend, maybe you finally were ready to get some good sleep, but you didn't sleep all that well. And maybe the reason you didn't sleep all that well over this long Labor Day weekend is because your mattress, you haven't been thinking about it. It's garbage. You need a better mattress. And the mattress you need is made just for you. It's personalized. And just like the latte you get down at the local coffee shop, you need something that is made just for you. And that means that you need a Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep, they've got a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or from bed with Helix, there's no more confusion, no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine, CNN, in the only true thing they've ever said. Called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress. It'll give you the best sleep of your life. I know because I sleep on a Helix Sleep mattress as, as does my beautiful doctor wife. It is personalized for us, which means that we are incredibly, incredibly comfortable, which is important since our kids try to get us up eight times a night. Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders for our listeners today. Get up to 200 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That is helixsleep.com dot com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Helixsleep.com slash Ben for up to $200 off. Okay, so over the weekend here in California, we had a record heat wave. Where I live, it was well into the 110s. Uh, out in Woodland Hills, it was like 121 degrees. So it was massive, massive heat. Now, this normally would be kind of minor news. It would be kind of minor news because, hey, it's California. It gets hot in the summer. Who knew? Except for every human being who has ever lived in California for literally thousands of years. Well, that became big news. Why? Well, because it turns out that California's government is garbage. It turns out that this state, which has the highest tax rates in America, they've got a tax rate, the top tax rate in in California is currently 13.8%. You add that onto the federal rate, and that means that people who are in the top tax bracket may be paying well over 50% of their income to the state and federal government. California also has tremendous sales taxes, tremendous local taxes. The only taxes that are decent in California, and that's because of a proposition Democrats seek to overturn, Proposition 13, are the property taxes. Okay, every other tax is extraordinarily high here in California. We are the worst taxed people in America. And we have no power because it turns out that the electrical grid for California not only has not been really updated in quite a while, but it turns out that we have been steadily moving away from efficient forms of energy creation and toward inefficient forms of energy creation, which led to the pathetic tweet from the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, quote, it's almost 3 p.m. Time to turn off major appliances. Set the thermostat to 78 degrees or use a fan instead. Okay, let me just inform you. If it is 110 degrees outside that fan, it ain't gonna do you one damn bit of good. You're gonna die of heat exhaustion. Turn off excess lights and unplug any appliances you're not using. We need every Californian to help conserve energy. Please do your part. Hashtag flex alert. So I I have a question. Was he not aware? Was, Was all of California not aware that it gets hot in the summer here in California? Because I've been here my entire life and it turns out it gets hot here, super hot. During the summer, and when your power goes out, it is a miserable experience. I've been here during a power outage, and it is just terrible. We had a transformer a few years back, blew on our street. It was the middle of a heat wave, and we were literally lying on the floor of our house 
because we were just trying to get close to the hardwood floor because it was cooler than the air. I mean, it is really, really, really hot out here when it gets hot. And that is why AC has been such a wonderful thing. But it turns out that if you're going to sustain AC for some tens of millions of people, there are about 40 some million people who live in California, you're going to need an electrical grid that is not reliant on, for example, solar energy. The reason that they said you have to start shutting down your power at about 3 p.m. is because a huge percentage of California's electrical grid is now reliant on so-called green energy which, as it turns out, is wildly inefficient, incredibly expensive, and means that you have rolling blackouts in the middle of a record heat wave. The Department of Energy had to authorize a federal intervention. Shailene Hayes Hines, who is the, the DOE spokeswoman, said tonight, pursuant to his authorities under the Federal Power Act, in response to an urgent request from the state of California, Secretary Brillette issued a Section 202C emergency order to preserve the reliability of the bulk electric power system during this period of heat and stress on the grid. The secretary concurs with the California Independent System Operator Corporation that a grid reliability emergency exists, which demands immediate federal intervention. While the secretary has offered this emergency assistance to California in this time of crisis, he also encourages state policymakers to evaluate why the grid is not able to handle extreme stress, which could be alleviated with the support of greater baseload power generation and natural gas supply. And it is that last sentence that matters. The fact is that California has been moving steadily toward very inefficient forms of green energy. Still, the majority of power in the state of California is provided by older, reliable, carbon-based forms of energy. But we've been dumping billions of dollars in the state of California into this green energy that is supposed to take care of us, and, um, and it has not done so. The good news is the Democrats want to extend this kind of malpractice across the entire nation. The Wall Street Journal had an article on this weeks ago, right, August 23rd, 2020. So two and a half weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal had a piece titled, Why California Keeps Having Blackouts. Quote, when rolling blackouts darken parts of California this month, Frank Wolak, an economics professor and energy markets expert at Stanford University, had a painful sense of deja vu. Wolak was among the people who helped California chart a course out of crisis in 2001, when a poorly conceived state electricity deregulation law resulted in frequent power shortages, sporadic blackouts, astronomical wholesale prices, and market manipulation. As Californians again experience rolling blackouts and millions more are threatened with losing power, a warning that continues through Monday, Wolak said it was clear that California policymakers completely forgot the lessons from the crisis in their rush to go green. A big part of the problem is that California regulators left the state exposed to buying large amounts of imported electricity on the spot market during peak periods on days where there is extreme energy demand. So we move toward green energy. And then if we fall short, then we try to buy electricity from other states. But what happens when there is a giant call on the system and the system is not able to meet that demand? Wolak likened this to going to the airport on Thanksgiving and expecting to fly standby. Only this time, the crunch time for the state's grid operator isn't the actual power demand peak in late afternoon. It's when the, star the sun starts to fall in early evening and the renewable energy the state is increasingly dependent on begins to wane. Remember, solar energy, when the sun goes down, when it starts to go down, your solar energy begins to wane because we still don't have a great way of storing solar energy and batteries. On many days, California's grid operator now has to find 10,000 to 15,000 megawatts of replacement powers Sometimes that is somewhere between a quarter and a half of all of the energy needed to keep the lights on during a three-hour period as solar and to a lesser degree, wind power falls off. So we didn't have a lot of wind over the last several days and solar power again began to fall off early evening. And so everybody was stuck in 100 degree weather. California often relies on imported power from other states to help fill its void. But when a historic heat wave gripped the Western U.S. this month, the state struggled to find a way to replace up to 8,000 megawatts of disappearing renewable energy each evening. It came up short on some days by as much as half that amount and had to call for rolling blackouts in the middle of August. And then we just did that again this weekend. Between 2014 and 2018, the state reduced its consumption of electricity from natural gas-fired power plants by 21 percent, 
Over that same period, it increased renewable energy consumption by 54%. These were ambitious mandates that were designed to lower global warming. By the way, the impact on global warming is absolutely negligible, statistically speaking. You could replace the entire supply of natural gas in the state of California with solar, and the impact on global warming would be incredibly negligible. Tiny, tiny, tiny over the course of the century. It would just mean that everybody would have to turn on those ceiling fans in the middle of this massive, massive heat wave every time there's a heat wave. There's a guy named Michael Peavy. He served as president of the California Public Utilities Commission before he stepped down at the end of 2014. He said rigid adherence to the green policy might have gone too far, particularly in light of state decisions to shut down two big sources of round-the-clock power, the San Onofre nuclear plant in 2013, and then the last remaining nuclear plant in the state, Diablo Canyon, after 2025. So we don't even have nuclear power in the state. So it's been a disaster for a long time here. It's just that this became absolutely clear. For all of the United States, large-scale installed battery capacity today totals approximately 1,000 megawatts. We don't have enough batteries. One California ISO estimate is the state could need up to 15,000 megawatts of energy storage capacity to reach its goal of eliminating carbon emissions from power generation by 2045. Hey, so again, bad policy led to these rolling blackouts. I'm constantly amazed to watch California politicians going out there and saying things like, well, you know, that this was a historic heat wave. It was so hot. You saw Gavin Newsom at the DNC doing this, standing out there in the forest being like, we have wildfires because it's so hot. It turns out human policy has an awful lot to do with a lot of the bad things that happen here in the state of California. And when you have rolling blackouts in the middle of 120 degree weather, because you didn't foresee it might get a little hot during the summer, you stupid jackasses. <laughs> this is the predictable result. This is the predictable result. Shocker. So we are taxed billions of dollars every single year. We run a deficit every single year here in the state of California. We're going to raise taxes again. And uh, you can't even do the basic necessities. So this is turning into a third world country. Well done, California. In just a second, we'll get to the continuation of violence in cities across the country. We have been informed that the mostly peaceful protests remain mostly peaceful. By mostly peaceful, there's a study came out, said about one in 10 of these protests turned violent. 7% of these protests turned violent, which means like 570 different riots and looting incidents across the United States over the past several months. We'll get to how the weekend went. I told you all to simmer down, but that didn't happen too much, did it? We'll get to that in just one second. First, September, it is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. You didn't know that, but now you do. And now that you're aware, be a responsible human being by making sure that your family has life insurance. Now, I know that you're thinking to yourself, is it hard to get life insurance these days? I mean, my God, we have giant wildfires and huge heat waves and a pandemic and everything else. Can I even get life insurance? The answer is, of course you can. And in fact, the rates are really, really good right now. Right now, you could save 1500 bucks or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for a decade or more, the savings really do start to add up. So how does Policy Genius work? Well, it's an insurance marketplace. It's built and backed by a team of industry experts. And here's how it works. Step one, you head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Step two, you can apply for your lowest price. Step three, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything for you. They even have policies that allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it right over the phone, which is why Policy Genius has a five-star rating across 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, head on over to policygenius.com right now to get started. I'm a responsible human being, so I have life insurance for my family. You can get Life insurance, too, at competitive rates. You can save 1500 bucks or more a year. Check out Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it is important to get it right. Policygenius.com. Go check them out right now. Okay, so meanwhile, things continue to heat up over the weekend, not just physically, but also in terms of politics. I have to acknowledge, I am amazed, amazed that the Trump campaign 
in what can only be called an act of political malpractice, has not made more of the fact that the Biden-Harris campaign is lionizing an alleged rapist who resisted the police before he was shot. I mean, like, this is amazing to me. It truly is incredible. The, the fact is that the Jacob Blake case in Kenosha, which kind of revivified a lot of these riots and protests and, and created a new moment, okay, that is an, ex, an extraordinarily poor example of so, supposed police malfeasance. A really, really bad example. And Jacob Blake is not a hero. Jacob Blake is an alleged rapist. And remember, there was an open warrant for Jacob Blake's arrest because a woman alleged that he had gone into her room. This is a couple of months ago. That he had gone into her room in her house, invaded her house, that he had, her, her child was asleep next to her in the bed, that he had digitally raped her, that he then sniffed his fingers and said, smells like you've been with other men. Okay, and then he had run away. And now she shows up again and then she calls the cops. All of this precedes Jacob Blake resisting arrest, being tased twice apparently and not falling down, refusing to abide police commands, walking around to the driver's side of his car, reaching into his car, apparently for a knife because a knife was found on the driver's side floorboards and then he was shot. And the Democrats have chosen to make this person a hero. They've chosen that this person is going to be a hero, not just the Democrats, the media too have decided to make this person a hero. So Benjamin Crump, who is the lawyer for Jacob Blake, basically anytime there's a police incident, the family immediately goes directly to Benjamin Crump, who's been at the forefront of nearly every one of these particular incidents. And via his office has disseminated really bad information initially on a number of these incidents ranging from Michael Brown to Jacob Blake. Remember, I believe it was Benjamin Crump's office that originally disseminated the lie that Jacob Blake was there to break up a fight between two women and was peacefully abiding by what the officer said. And then they shot him for no reason. Well, now Ben Crump has put out a statement with his co-counsels, Patrick Salvi II and Blory Lamar. Senator Kamala Harris visited with the family of Jacob Blake Jr., who joined by phone from his hospital bed. Now, he, he's not just in the hospital bed because he uh, is wounded. He's also in the hospital bed because he's literally chained to the hospital bed because he's under arrest right now for alleged rape. Here is the statement put out by Benjamin Crump. Senator Harris had an inspirational and uplifting one-hour visit with Jacob Blake Jr. and his family today. She spoke individually with each family member about how they were handling the trauma and urged them to take care of their physical and mental health. In a moving moment, Jacob Jr. told Senator Harris he was proud of her, and the senator told Jacob she was also proud of him and how he is working through his pain. She's proud of him. So which part is she proud of, Jacob Blake? Like, really, I'm, I'm wondering what it is there is to be proud of. He's an alleged rapist with an open warrant for domestic violence, for domestic abuse, and for rape, who resisted arrest before he was shot. It seems like there are a lot of things in life that you can be proud of someone for. I'm wondering what it is that she is proud of exactly about Jacob Blake. Just to, just to review Kamala Harris's record and how she perceives alleged rape, according to Kamala Harris, Brett Kavanaugh committed a rape, or at least the suspicions were so grave that he had committed a rape, he shouldn't sit on the Supreme Court based on zero evidence other than an account that was belied by every one of the supposed witnesses to the event from Christine Blasey Ford. Also, Kamala Harris declared that Joe Biden, like a year ago, had been credibly accused of sexual harassment and, in fact, soft forms of sexual assault, right? He had touched people without their permission. That was Kamala Harris. Now she's out there praising a man who allegedly raped a woman with her child in the room and then returned to the scene and tried to take the keys of the house from the woman in violation of a restraining order. Jacob Jr. assured her he was not going to give up on life for the sake of his children. Ah, ah. Senator Harris also discussed the policy changes she and Vice President Biden will seek, including the Justice and Policing Act and implicit bias training to make things better for all Americans. She encouraged them to continue to use their voices, even through their pain, to help America make progress to end systemic racism. Ah, systemic racism. 
the uh, the vague mush word that means nothing when heard by everybody in the United States, but means everything to people in the press who understand that the systemic racist charge means that you have to tear down nearly every system in the United States. Kamala Harris didn't just have this statement via the uh, via the Benjamin Crump law firm. She also spoke to the press about this. She said the Blake family is just wonderful. In fact, she called them incredible. It's like in the list of in the pantheon of American families. It goes like probably, you know, like the Rockefeller family, the John Adams, John Quincy Adams family. And then the Blake family, right, where, where the son is an alleged rapist and the father is a rabid anti-Semite who posts stuff about how the Jews run the world on his Facebook page. That, that is the pantheon of incredible families in America. Here is Senator Harris praising a family where the son is an alleged rapist and the father is a rabid anti-Semite. This is, this is the vice presidential candidate for the Democrats. Really um, wonderful. I mean, they're an incredible family and what they've endured and they just do it with such dignity and grace. And, you know, they're carrying the weight of a lot of voices on their shoulders. And what was the message that you shared? Thank you. Let's have a letter. Just one, to express concern for their, you know, well-being and, of course, for their brother and their son's well-being and to let them know that they have support. They have support. They're an incredible family, guys. Incredible family. Now, let, let's be clear about this. The Democrats have taken the side of people who are, ele- who are, when you say credibly accused, who are very, very credibly accused of having committed sexual assault and they're anti-Semite family members. Those are the people they support. The cops, however, should go to jail. Again, you can watch the tape of the incident. That is a justified shooting. By all available evidence, that is a justified shooting. Unless new evidence emerges, that is a justified shooting. Kamala Harris has called for the officers in that case to be charged. She's chosen her side. Okay, the Biden-Harris campaign has chosen its side. And they've decided that they are going to side with the criminals rather than the cops. And this could not be made more obvious than in the case of Jacob Blake. Now, the New York Times is mirroring this as well. We'll get to the New York Times building up Jacob Blake as a hero. I am not kidding you. This is a real thing. They're building up an alleged rapist. as a hero. The victim completely disappears, by the way. Completely doesn't matter. The, the female victim. Remember the Me Too? Remember say her name when it came to, girl, when it came to women being sexually assaulted? Remember all that? Me Too moment? Yeah, that, that doesn't matter anymore. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that right now is not a great time to go to the post office, but you still have to send lots of mail. Hopefully your business is still doing a lot of business, and that means you need to get those packages out the door. Well, how can you accomplish this, saving time and saving money? Well, you use stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can print postage on demand. You can avoid going to the post office. You'll save money with discounted rates you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com offers UPS services with discounts up to 62%. No residential surcharges here at Daily Wire. We were early adapters here. We've been using Stamps.com since 2017. No more wasting our time. Stamps.com will bring all the mailing and shipping services you need right to your computer in the comfort of your home or office. Whether you're a small business sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products or just working from home and you need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for the mail carrier, schedule a pickup, drop it in a mailbox. It is indeed. That's simple again. You get those big discounts, five cents off every stamp, up to 62% off USPS and UPS shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. We've been doing it here at the office for years. Just go to stamps.com right now, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro, and you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale, no long-term commitment. Go to stamps.com, enter code Shapiro at the top of the homepage and get that special, incredible deal. Four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale, no long-term commitment. That is stamps.com. Click on the mic. At the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. Okay, so the New York Times is also attempting to push the lie that Jacob Blake is a a wonderful hero. 
You know, it's funny. Candace Owens got a lot of flack for suggesting that people were lionizing George Floyd. Right? And, and this led Dave Chappelle to attack Candace Owens and suggest that she was a bad person because she was pointing out that it's not merely that people were upset about what happened to George Floyd. They're also lionizing him as some sort of American hero being buried in a gold casket and all the rest. The media are giving the full treatment to Jacob Blake. I mean, they are giving the full sycophantic treatment to an alleged rapist with multiple children by multiple mothers. I mean, th- this guy is, this is not a model of excellent human behavior. In fact, if you don't want to be shot by the police, I have a couple of recommendations. One, don't rape anybody. Two, don't resist arrest when they come to arrest you for raping somebody. These are just a couple of, of tips, of handy tips. Don't reach into your car for a knife on the floorboards. A few handy tips. But apparently none of that matters because you'll be lionized as a hero by the media so long as you are black and the police officer is white and so long as it serves a political purpose for a Democrat. And that is what is happening right now. Here's an article from the New York Times today. Jacob Blake, rare survivor at center of police protests, starts telling his own story. Isn't this going to be empowering? It's so empowering, guys. In a video recorded from his hospital bed, Mr. Blake, who was shot by the police, says it hurts to breathe. It hurts to sleep. Demonstrations against police violence have been filled with the chance of victims' names. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner. In recent days, a new name, Jacob Blake, has been called out in protests across the country. In that list, though, Mr. Blake, a black man who was repeatedly shot in the back by a white police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, is also set apart. Okay, you might notice that um, that description of the crime lacks a little bit of context. According to the New York Times, he was just a black guy repeatedly shot in the back by a white police officer. None of the he was reaching for a knife in his car. None of the he repeatedly disobeyed orders by the cops. None of the he violently resisted arrest, which he did. None of the he was called, the the cops were called to the scene because he was violating a restraining order for a woman who alleged rape. None of that makes it to the New York Times piece. Weird, weird, guys. According to the New York Times, unlike so many of the people who have become grim symbols for movement, Mr. Blake survived and has begun to tell his story. Okay, buried in paragraph 17 of this piece, buried in paragraph 17 of this piece is the little known fact that Blake has pled not guilty to three domestic charges against him, including a sexual assault count. The charges were filed in July. On the day Mr. Blake was shot, the woman who reported the assault called 9-11 and 9-1-1, saying that Mr. Blake was at her home. The Kenosha police said they were trying to arrest Mr. Blake when the shooting occurred. Okay, they didn't just say they were trying to, there's a tape of it, guys. I mean, like, this is all on tape. The trial in that case has been scheduled for November, although it could be delayed. Ben Crump, the civil rights attorney, said Blake was still coming to terms with the public attention to what had happened to him and what it might mean for the months in the months ahead. Crump said he hasn't been able to fully grasp what a symbol he has become, adding that Blake was mostly focused on making sure that his young children, three of whom witnessed the shooting, are not traumatized and they understand that he will emerge from this. Crump said the way he's trying to be a strong black father for his children is the way he's taking on the mission of this movement. You know what's a great way to be a strong black father? Not allegedly raping people and then resisting arrest when they come to arrest you. That would be a great way to be a better father, period, no matter your race. But the New York Times runs this long piece. Nowhere in this piece do you actually find out what he did or what he was alleged to have done. But don't worry, Jacob Blake is now a hero. So here is this video that rocketed around the internet of Jacob Blake complaining about his injuries. And pick better heroes, people. Pick better heroes. I got staples in my back, staples in my damn stomach. You do not want to have to deal with this, man. 24 hours, every 24 hours, it's pain. It's nothing but pain. It hurts to breathe. It hurts to sleep. It hurts to move from side to side. It hurts to eat. Please, I'm telling you, change your lives out there. We can stick together, make some money, make make everything easier for our people out here, man, because there's so much time that has been wasted. What? Make some money? Again, 
this man allegedly raped a woman. That is why the police were there. Okay, so when you set the narrative that America is evil and systemically racist and horrible across the board, the predictable result is that no matter what the circumstances of any individual police interaction with a black person, it will be treated by the media and by a population that has been taught by the media that America is a horrible place as an incident of white on black brutality. And that is what we have seen across the country. And by the way, it will be latched onto by agitators of all races, particularly upper class white people. A shocking number of Antifa members and rioters and looters have actually been upper class white people. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you're engaging with media an awful lot these days. I mean, it's an election season and there's a lot going on in the world. That means that you need an excellent pair of premium wireless earbuds, especially if you can get them at less than half the price of the other guys, which is why I recommend wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon's newest model, the Everyday E25s, those are the best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass and more compact design and noise isolating fit, which is excellent if your kids are screaming at you while you're on the phone. This is a frequent occurrence in my home. Raycon earbuds, they are stylish and discreet, no dangling wires, no stems. And you can give them a try right now because they have a 45-day free return policy. So you can make sure they are the pair of wireless earbuds for you. They look great. They also fit your ear perfectly. Unlike the other one-size-fits-all options, you can actually customize them so they fit your ear really, really comfortably and don't fall out. For a limited time, get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Ben. That is B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash Ben for a special 15% discount on Raycon wireless earbuds. Make sure to check it out now while the deal is still running. Buyraycon.com slash Ben. Once more, that is B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash Ben. You get 15% off your order and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg like the other guys. And it fits better and it looks better. Go check them out right now. Buyraycon.com slash Ben. Alrighty, so over the weekend, a lot of different incidents of violence happening in a range of different cities. So in Rochester, there is a particularly uh, weird incident in which uh, people attacked an outdoor restaurant. And you can see uh, that the race of the people who are attacking the outdoor restaurant, it's not, it's largely white people <laughs> because this is dispossessed white people who are looking for a reason to be angry about their lives. Uh, and so here's some tape from Rochester where a restaurant was basically overrun. Carrying Black Lives Matter flags. And uh, th these tables are systemically racist, guys. You gotta knock over some chairs, gotta knock over some glasses, wreck the outdoor restaurant in Rochester in the name of systemic injustice. Yeah, toss some chairs. You know, really go for it. That heat lamp right there seems systemically racist. Knock that sucker right over. Really good stuff. A lot of, uh, a lot of pissed off white people looking to wreck a restaurant. This is... Uh, all this is good for America. And I feel like the, uh, the Biden-Harris campaign is going to rein it in by praising people who commit acts of disgusting crime uh, and then are shot in the process of resisting police. That, that, that seems like that'll probably heal things. In D.C., protesters were blocking reporters. So that's always, a, that's always good news. We've been told, by the, by the way, these same reporters who try and cover for the protesters and pretend they're nice people. Again, a bunch of white people who have decided to glom onto the movement and do the hard work, according to Robin D'Angelo. According to Fred Frederick Kunkel of the Washington Post, quote, protesters are now blocking media from filming their demonstration, shining lights into a reporter's face, blocking shots with fans' umbrellas, and following like, quote-unquote, minders. So good times over in Washington, D.C. Uh, over in Portland, uh, we had an instance in which people were throwing Molotov cocktails at the cops, and one of the protesters who was standing in front of the cops was hit by the Molotov cocktail, leading to him being set on fire and then ironically having to be put out by the very police officers he was protesting. So the cops were systemically evil, had to put out this man who, uh, who was on fire. He was standing in the middle of the street protesting the police. And um, yeah, that's some, that's some video right there. They're trying to put him out. I mean, that's 
you know, if you go out protesting the police and you get on, you get sent on fire by a Molotov cocktail thrown by one of the members of your own side, and then the police have to come and save you because your idiot friends are trying to put out a fire with a trash can, as opposed to, you know, an actual fire extinguisher where the cops show up and try to help you. Yeah, well done, everybody. That Really solid stuff. Meanwhile, Molotov cocktails were found by the Seattle PD. So the Seattle, they, they, they had an instance of somebody throwing Molotov cocktails at the cops last night. Seattle PD released an image of people carrying around Molotov cocktails. Uh, it, probably the most evocative imagery was not even a man being set on fire by a Molotov cocktail thrown by presumed Antifa members. It was these Pittsburgh protests in Pittsburgh. There were protests where people went to an outdoor restaurant and again, decided that this is a good look. It's always a good look when you're trying to just harass random people who are out dining for the evening. They went to a, uh, they went to some sort of outdoor restaurant and some lady decides that she is entitled to somebody else's beer. So she literally just walks up to the table where people are just eating outdoors and then grabs the beer. There's a, a black woman walking up to this elderly white couple, just walks up and starts drinking the lady's beer. She's wearing a shirt that says Nazi lives don't matter, which the, the irony of... Um, modern-day fascists walking up to other people and just taking their stuff and seizing it in the name of racial justice. Pretty incredible stuff right there. The great irony, of course, is that the elderly couple has COVID. So sad for that lady. Sad for that lady. So all of this is making the country a better place. And this is why when you hear Biden-Harris, they're going to calm the tensions. They're going to calm the tensions. The only way that Democrats calm these kind of tensions is by suggesting to the protesters protesters, that they are going to do what they want. They're going to calm the tensions in the same way that anybody who caves to arsonists and terrorists calms tensions. They cave to them. If you appease them, then presumably they will get a little bit calmer. The only problem is that you are now making it so that the math works, that every time they decide to get violent, you're going to do more work on their behalf. I don't think that the American people are particularly into being blackmailed, especially not by the wonderful people who are doing, who are engaged in this sort of blackmail in the first place. There is an amazing story of a, of a wealthy college student who was arrested over the weekend for engaging in rioting. This is in New York City. Her name is Clara Kraber. She was among those arrested after a vandalism spree on Friday in the Flatiron District where demonstrators were protesting in favor of BLM. They did $100,000 worth of damage to businesses in Manhattan. So apparently she has now been charged. She was arrested. Who is she? Well, she was arrested at her family's second home. She's an undergrad at Rice University. Her father is a psychiatrist who teaches at Columbia University Department of Psychiatry. So we are now living out Philip Roth's American pastoral. Her mother is an architect at a prestigious Manhattan firm. The family in 2016 purchased a $1.8 million apartment on the Upper East Side. They also own a home with four fireplaces in Connecticut. One law enforcement source told The Post, I wonder how her rich parents feel about their daughter. How would they feel if they graffitied their townhouse? This girl should be the poster child for white privilege. Growing up on the Upper East Side and another home in Connecticut, this is the height of hypocrisy. But of course, it isn't the height of hypocrisy if you engage in a movement that says that America is systemically racist and that that is basically the fault of white people. And the only way that white people can alleviate their historic systemic racism is by leading the way in creating change. And the way that change is created is by overthrowing all systems. So of course, she's rebelling against exactly the systems that made her parents wealthy because those systems are racist. She is doing something virtuous. See, she's even leaving behind her own wealth. She was arrested at her, at her family's second home, by the way. So all, all very, very good stuff. And it ties into something much deeper, ideologically speaking. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that because you're engaged with a lot of media these days, because you're online a lot, maybe you're working from home. That means that you're getting a lot of blue light coming in to those retinas. And that means that you're probably having a tough time sleeping. It's possible that you're getting headaches. 
Staring at screens all day is actually quite bad in terms of headaches and in terms of eye strain. And this is why you need some excellent blue blue light glasses. And I'm talking here about Felix Grays. Felix Grey will filter out 90% of blue light in the most damaging range, eliminates 99% of glare through a proprietary industry-leading lens technology only available with Felix Grey. This lens technology is super durable. It is much stronger than some of the other lens technology you'll get where people just kind of paint something on a glass. That's not the way it works. Felix Grey frames are hand-finished from durable, super lightweight Italian acetate. You can order online, and the glasses will ship directly to you with hard case and lens cloth included. You can try them for 30 days risk-free. If your, screen, if your screens are not easier on the eyes, you send them back for a full refund. So you really have nothing to lose except for the headaches and the eye strain. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben for the absolute best quality blue light filtering glasses on the market. That is F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y, felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Shipping and returns are totally free at felixgray, felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. I love my Felix Grays. They definitely have ensured that the amount of screen time I get doesn't take a toll on my eyes or my sleep. felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. All righty, in just a second, we're going to get to how all of this ties into deeper ideological commitments that have been made by the left and exactly how those ideological commitments can be fought. We'll get to that in just one second. First, as part of our Daily Wire audience, there are a number of ways you can take in the podcast. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, another podcast app. You can also watch our podcast on YouTube, Facebook, or over at dailywire.com. Here's the bottom line. We are making our content available to you anywhere you watch or listen. And now we're introducing a new upgraded experience. Daily Wire is now on Apple TV and Roku. So members can enjoy all the visual elements of this podcast on your big screen, either live or on demand. Find The Daily Wire on Apple TV or Roku. Go download today. You have to be an insider member to watch live. So head on over to dailywire.com slash Shapiro. Use code WATCH at checkout. Get 15% off your membership purchase. The deal will not last long. Act fast if you want live shows on your big screen. Plus the one-of-a-kind, highly coveted, often imitated, never duplicated, leftist tears tumbler. Ooh, ah. Again, that is dailywire.com slash Shapiro to get 15% off with code WATCH and download the Daily Wire on your Apple TV and Roku today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So Democrats are having an exorbitantly hard time condemning Antifa and certainly Black Lives Matter. You won't see anybody on the Democratic side condemn Black Lives Matter and the associated violence involved with Black Lives Matter. That will never happen at all. Over the weekend, Joe Biden was asked specifically about Antifa, and he said, yes, I condemn, I condemn that violence and all other violence, which, of course, is both sizing it in the same way that Donald Trump was criticized for in Charlottesville. I remember because I was one of the people who criticized him for it. OK, well, Brett Baer asked Simone Sanders, who is a spokesperson for the Biden campaign, why Biden had not specifically condemned Antifa, like do a full speech, do a sister soldier moment, talk about the evils of Antifa and the excesses of BLM. But Biden, of course, will not do that because he is deathly afraid of losing the left wing of his base in a competitive election. So here's Brett Baer asking a simple question to Simone Sanders. She does not give a simple answer. This week, uh, the former vice president has condemned that rioting and looting and violence, spoke out about it. But he has yet to con- condemn Antifa, a group that is behind a lot of the violence. Specifically, why? Brett, the vice president has been very clear. He condemns all forms of violence. And frankly, what you heard him say in the speech that he gave on Monday of last week was, it doesn't matter what political party uh, you belong to. It doesn't matter uh, what your political beliefs are. Violence is wrong. Okay, that does not cut it. I'm sorry. Violence is wrong. Does not cut it when you refuse to specifically talk about the evils of Antifa or specifically refuse to talk about the evils of BLM, the organization, as well as the protests that have led to violence across the country. 
Okay, Brett Baer then asked a more specific question to Simone Sanders. He says, you know, 13 members of the Biden campaign tried to bail out rioters in Minneapolis. You got anything on that, Simone? And the answer, of course, is no. To the dozen plus Biden campaign staffers who donated to this Minnesota Freedom Fund have any regrets about that now that at least one person bailed out has been rearrested on a serious charge? Brett, it was not and has not been our campaign position of bailing anyone out. Uh, so I'm unsure about specifically what you're speaking well, to. Well, Kamala Harris tweeted about it. She said if you're able to chip into the Minnesota Freedom Fund to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota, please do. Whoops, whoops. And then she was like, well, you know, we don't like violence in any form. Okay, no, honestly, honestly, the, the Biden campaign seems kind of sanguine about violence so long as it comes from the left. It is violence of the alt-right and white supremacists that they are very, very concerned about. Now, you can be concerned about all of those forms of violence, but it's the violence on your side of the aisle you have to speak up against particularly. Okay, this is one of the things I've been saying for a very long time. You can go back and listen to old episodes of this show. How many times have I done full episodes on the evils of the alt-right and white supremacy? Literally dozens of times on the show. Dozens of times. Okay, anything that is perceived to be violent needs to be condemned very specifically and its motivations analyzed. But here's the problem for Democrats. They don't very often want to analyze the motivations of BLM or Antifa because they might come up against the harsh reality, which is that BLM and Antifa imitate many of their talking points and they agree with them on many of these ideas. How do you know this? Because they'll say it out loud. Ilhan Omar, the radical Democratic congresswoman from Minneapolis endorsed by Nancy Pelosi. So not radical, mainstream Democrat. Okay, let's just stop calling her a radical. She's not a radical. She's a mainstream Democrat. Ilhan Omar is a mainstream Democrat who poses on the cover of Rolling Stone with Nancy Pelosi. Okay, she's an, she's an awful anti-Semite. She, uh, she famously characterized 9-11 as something happening to some people, basically. Okay, Il- Ilhan Omar is, is, a, is an awful human being. Ilhan Omar is a mainstream Democrat. She's been embraced by the Democratic Party. And here was Ilhan Omar suggesting that what we are watching in our streets is an uprising over centuries of racism and oppression. That is what we are watching in our streets. So it's very difficult for the, from, for the Democratic Party to look deeply at Antifa or BLM when they are reading from the same hymnal. Here was Ilhan Omar reading from that hymnal. We are in the midst of an ongoing uprising over centuries of racial neglect and oppression. We can't talk about the protests in Minneapolis or Kenosha or sports teams nationwide without first looking inward. We maintain a system that grinds millions into desperate poverty, a system that doesn't provide the most basic necessities like food, shelter, and medicine. Ah, it's an uprising. And again, there is something deeply ironic about a a woman coming to the United States from an impoverished position, right? I mean, she came from Somalia to the United States, gaining a seat in Congress and talking about the grinding evil of the United States and its racial and ethnic oppression. I mean, it's just, frankly, it's a pretty disgusting thing to do. It is a disgusting thing to do. There are many criticisms you can make of the American system. The idea that the American system grinds millions of people into poverty and is complicit in racism and oppression and brutality, that coming from a sitting, I mean, she in her very own person is a rebuke to her own perspective. But This is a mainstream Democratic perspective. Let us stop pretending this is not a mainstream Democratic perspective. When Joe Biden goes out there and he says nice things about the Declaration or the Constitution or when Obama does it, that is just surface level nonsense for people who are gullible. Because the heart and soul of the Democratic Party is in fact with Ilhan Omar. If it were not, Nancy Pelosi had every opportunity to endorse Ilhan Omar's opponents in a primary. She did not. Instead, they've decided to integrate this into the heart of the Democratic Party. And 
this is an ideological thing. It is. It is the reason why. Because again, this should not be tough. Like from a political perspective, Joe Biden doesn't actually need the support of Antifa. From a political perspective, Joe Biden doesn't even need to go along with the violence of BLM. He could say, listen, I think there are, there are you know, that, that our police are not systemically racist, that there are corrections that we can make, but we live in a country where we're all trying to do our best. He doesn't actually need to go full radical on this. He does not. The reason that he does is because he thinks he needs to do that, either politically or because he truly believes it. One of the two. He has decided to embrace the Ilhan Omar position. Kamala Harris is much clearer about it. I mean, she fully embraces the Ilhan Omar position. Whenever you hear people, by the way, categorizing as quote-unquote uprisings, the, the violence that is being done in the street, Maxine Waters did it in 1992, circa the LA riots. She also, she called it the LA uprising. The same thing is, is happening here. This is why the Democrats are having a tough time condemning this, because they only disagree about the means. They don't disagree about the ends, nor do they disagree about the arguments. And these arguments have very, very deep roots. One of the arguments is an argument made by critical race theory. So critical race theory is the basic idea that all human interactions are basically power struggles. And all human interactions in the United States, particularly, can be analyzed through the lens of race. So every policy that is created in the United States is actually just a reflection of underlying racial power dynamics. Critical race theory is an offshoot of critical legal studies. Critical legal studies is the theory that there is no actual principled interpretation of law. Instead, all there is are people pretending that they are doing principled interpretation of law when, in fact, they're simply attempting to effectuate systems of power on their own behalf. Critical legal studies came about in the 1960s, 1970s. Thinkers like Roberto Unger were were big proponents of critical legal studies. It's it's, it's an entire way of teaching law. I mean, they they taught this at Harvard Law School. There's an entire way of teaching law that is deeply engaged with the idea that law is itself an exercise in oppression and power. And so the only question is, who has the power and who gets to wield it? Now, critical legal studies basically destroys small-r republicanism. It destroys legal systems because if legal systems are not predicated on principle, they're merely a competition among power dynamics. Well, then why not side with your tribe and try and grab power? Critical race theory is just an adjunct to that. The first proponent, one of the early proponents was Derek Bell. Derek Bell was a big proponent of critical race theory. And his basic view of American law and American politics is the same as Ibram Kendi's, which is that all of American law is white supremacy. Derek Bell was very clear about this in his own writings. He was also promoted at the time by a young Harvard Law student named Barack Obama, who famously hugged Derrick Bell when Derrick Bell was denied tenure at Harvard Law School. There were big rallies about Derrick Bell and what should Derrick Bell be maintained there. This was not legal scholarship, right? It was just politics masquerading as legal scholarship. But critical race theory has become sort of the the go-to anti-racism program. So it used to be sort of a fringy thing that you saw in upper-level law schools. It has now bled down into the mainstream. It is what you see when you see people like Robin D'Angelo or Ibram Kendi being hired by by universities and by corporations and by members of the federal government to teach about anti-racism. Again, the basic going theory is that the Declaration of Independence is a lie. It's a bunch of highfalutin ideas that mean nothing. The Constitution is merely an attempt by white people to maintain their own power, that all systems of power, all systems of law are in fact merely a cloak for disguised racial oppression, right? That is the, the basis of critical race theory. It's also the basis of the 1619 Project, which springs from the same place. And Ilhan Omar kind of bumper stickers it when she says that what we're watching now is an uprising against racism and against oppression and that all systems of America are rife with racism and oppression. The 1619 Project is basically an offshoot of critical race theory that all of American history is just a racial struggle and it's white supremacy in action. So the Trump administration is rightly fighting back against this. President Trump said over the weekend that the Department of Education 
would be investigating whether California schools are using the New York Times' 1619 Project in public school curricula. The, the 1619 Project is, of course, anti-factual. It is garbage. I've analyzed it at length on this show. There's a big analysis of it in my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It basically blames everything from traffic patterns to housing to maternal mortality rates and disparity between maternal mortality rates on American, America's history of slavery and Jim Crow. Trump tweeted out, Department of Education is looking at this. If so, they will not be funded. Now, I, I just want to know, all the people who are very upset with uh, President Trump for suggesting that he is going to cut via the Department of Education funding to California based on their teaching of the anti-factual 1619 Project, which again is anti-American propaganda that suggests that America was not founded in 1776. The Declaration's principles mean nothing. It was founded instead on slavery and racial oppression. They're very angry at Trump because they're saying, well, why can't California run its own ship? Okay, I have an idea. Let's just eliminate the Department of Education altogether. It's been a long time Republican proposal. If California wants to propagandize to its children, all right, let's just get rid of the, the DOE entirely. No more Common Core, no more federal standards. Get rid of the Department of Education on the federal level as a whole. Frankly, that'd be something I'd be very much in favor of. I don't think the federal government has any business in how I teach my children. But so long as the federal government is going to be involved, then it seems to me in the federal government's interest not to having states, not to have states teach propaganda about how evil America is. Russell Vaught, the director of the Office of Management and Budget, has also instructed heads of federal agencies to dramatically alter, quote, racial sensitivity training programs for employees, deeming them un-American propaganda in a two-page memo. And by the way, the memo is correct. This is anti-American propaganda. Russell Vaught put out a statement says it has come to the president's attention that executive branch agencies have spent millions of taxpayer dollars to date training, quote unquote, training government workers to believe divisive anti-American propaganda. For example, according to press reports, employees across the executive branch have been required to attend trainings where they are told that, quote, virtually all white people contribute to racism or where they are required to say that they, quote unquote, benefit from racism. According to press reports, in some cases, these trainings have further claimed that there is racism embedded in the belief that America is the land of opportunity or the belief that the most qualified person should receive a job. These types of trainings not only run counter to the fundamental beliefs for which our nation has stood since its inception, but they also engender division and resentment within the federal workforce. We cannot accept our employees receiving training that seeks to undercut our core values as Americans and drives division within our workforce. So, the all agencies have been directed to begin to identify all contracts or other agency spending related to any training on critical race theory, white privilege, or any other training or propaganda effort that teaches or suggests either one, that the United States is an inherently racist or evil country, or two, that any race or ethnicity is inherently racist or evil. In addition, all agencies should begin to identify all available avenues within the law to cancel any such contracts and or to divert federal dollars away from these un-American propaganda training sessions. Of course, this has led the left to say that Trump is instead trying to defend racism. No, 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 no. That is not what this is. If you defund the 1619 Project, again, an anti-historical bag of garbage, or if you defund these diversity training initiatives led by grifters like Robin DiAngelo, I mean, she is a full-on grifter. What a living that lady has made for herself. Upper-class white lady lecturing everybody else on racism, and all you have to do to alleviate your own racism, to cleanse yourself of the racist thetans, is to hire Robin DiAngelo at 20000 bucks a pop or Ibram Kendi at 20000 bucks a pop, and magically, magically, your racism is now relieved. Good for the Trump administration on this stuff. This is an ideological battle. It really is. And the fact is, the Democratic Party has decided full-scale to embrace this agenda. They have. And Joe Biden is merely a frontman for this. Because Joe Biden appears not to be radical. Joe Biden appears not to agree with some of this stuff. But I would love to see him forcefully denounce it, which he never will. He'll never forcefully denounce the 1619 Project. He'll praise it. He'll never forcefully denounce the idea that America is a land of racism, intolerance, and oppression. 
he agrees with it, or at least he's weak need enough to cave to those people who do agree with it. So, you know, again, one of the things that you have to gauge in this election, like every election, is whether it is a competition between individual figures, which is very often how people see elections, is Trump versus Biden, or whether it is a conflict between movements and ideas. And Trump may be a highly imperfect, a highly imperfect vessel for the expression of American ideals. And when I say highly imperfect, that is putting it extraordinarily mildly. I think the man has tremendous, tremendous and terrible character flaws that I've criticized at length on this program. But if I'm forced to choose between a party that has fully engaged in a 1619 mentality that says America is systemically racist, a party that fully embraces the alleged evils of Jacob Blake and rips the cops versus a party that says, no, you know what? America is not systemically racist. Its police are not systemically racist. We have to identify instances of racism and fight them. If that is my choice, that is no choice at all. That is an extraordinarily easy choice. All the Democrats had to do was be not nuts, and they have been unfortunately unable to do it, like at all, at all. Now, meanwhile, there's been a, a tremendous amount of, of media sycophancy, again, for Joe Biden. The, the easy thing that the media have been trying to mimic the, the Joe Biden versus Donald Trump race narrative. And I, I don't mean like races. I mean like the, the, uh, the 2020 race. They've been trying to mimic Biden's narrative. Biden's narrative is a conflict between people. It's not a conflict between ideas. And so in order to promulgate that, they have to make it into nice old Joe, nice old Joe. And the media are into this full scale. So over the weekend, over the last several days, Joe Biden has just gotten the richest media treatment I've ever seen. So Biden literally cannot handle himself on the trail. That is not a conspiracy theory. That is a reality. Now, how do you know that? Uh, so I, I got critiqued over the weekend uh, for suggesting that Joe Biden is not with it. People were saying, well, you know, if you really wanted to help Republicans, then what you would really do is you would talk about how he's with it, and then he would he would undercut expectations. Okay, but that's not my job. I'm going to tell you the truth. Joe Biden is not with it. It is very obvious to anybody who watches him for more than seven minutes that he is not even what Joe Biden used to be. And what Joe Biden used to be wasn't that great in the first place. Well, let's be honest about that. Joe Biden was a weird dude who, who had logoria. He was constantly just jabbering nonsensically about random stuff. There's a reason that when he ran first in 1842... There is a reason why Joe Biden has run for president one million times and lost every time. Okay, so over the weekend, Joe Biden was doing a Zoom session. Uh, again, this is what he does now. He sits in his basement and does Zoom sessions. And he literally was being fed answers in his teleprompter, and he couldn't read the teleprompter. It led to this awkward exchange. What will your administration do to help them give them that chance? Thank you. Let's move it up here. You know, there used to be a basic bargain in this country. Workers shared in the wealth their work helped create. Move it up here is him talking to his teleprompter operator because presumably he needs to be fed the answers. The good news is the media will cover for him no matter what, Joe Biden. It doesn't matter that his campaign is basically a mess. He will be covered for no matter what. And it is a mess, by the way. We'll get to his COVID comments in just one second. First, I got to show you how the media have just been sycophantically carrying around his drool cup. I mean, he's literally drooling and they're carrying around a bucket for him to drool in while, in while, while telling you that not only are they not water carriers for him, he is totally with it. Okay? I mean, it, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. So Gloria Borger over on CNN, she literally called empathy his superpower. Okay, let me just put this out there. Joe Biden doesn't have any superpowers. He has no superpowers at this point. Joe Biden's only superpower is that he cannot escape the basement. Okay, it's like an episode, it's like an installment of Saw, except he's not actually chained to the wall and there's no threat to him and he still can't leave the basement. Here's Gloria Borger saying empathy is Joe Biden's superpower. 
looking at the grief there and also empathy. Biden has talked about empathy as sort of his number one, you know, way to really connect with the average American. Yeah, he he does. And I, I talked with somebody who's worked with him who said it's his superpower. He reaches out to people in kind of a pastoral way because he said to me, look, I can understand their grief. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think it helps him in a way to share his own. Wow. Wow. So that, that's a superpower is that he's nice, guys, because, again, the media are trying to boil this race down into Trump versus Biden as opposed to the movements they represent. And then they mischaracterize the movements they represent, of course. BLM is all about peaceful change. Well, well, apparently the Trump supporters are all about violent evil. We'll get to that in a moment also, because seriously, there's an entire article in the Daily Beast today talking about how leftists are bracing for pro-Trump violence after the election. Show me the massive episodes of pro-Trump violence. Where, where, is all, where are all these evil right-wingers burning cities? Like, where are they? I'm not talking about, you know, the clashes between the Proud Boys who are a small group and, you know, a fringy group who have not been embraced by the Republican establishment and Antifa members. And I'm not talking about you know, white supremacists who have been actively thrust out of anything resembling the right wing by people in power. I'm t- if we're talking about widespread violence, I think we all know where the widespread violence is going to come from after the election. It's going to, if Trump wins, there will be widespread burning of cities. And we all know that that's the case. The Daily Beast, however, is trying to make it that it's about how the how the right wing is the true violent wing of, of the of the American political spectrum. In any case, the media really pushing Joe Biden hard. I mean, hard. So on Friday, Joe Biden did a little presser. That little presser involved the media massaging his back for an hour. The, the, here's a montage of the questions that Joe Biden was asked. These are not questions. Hey, this is them feeding him answers about how wonderful he is. This is like a Barbara Walters interview. If you were a twee, what kind of twee would you be, Joe Biden? Here, here we go. Last night, President Trump mocked you for wearing a mask and said that this is a sign that you must have some, quote, big issues. He says this even though he knows that, according to scientists and public health officials, wearing masks saves lives. He asked you about another thing the president said last night. He once again suggested to his supporters that they should consider voting twice if they're in one of those states that can allow you to request an absentee ballot. So fill that out and then go try voting again in person. State officials have said it's a felony. When you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul? You said today is the angriest you've you've been as a presidential candidate. Um, But you said you're trying to restrain yourself. There are a lot of people out there who are supporting you or are inclined to not vote for the president who would say, why isn't Joe Biden angrier? Oh, my God. So the questions are, why aren't you angrier? What's wrong with Donald Trump's soul? And also, why are you the greatest person who has ever lived, Joe Biden? Really tough stuff there from the media. Uh, Why don't people trust the media, guys? Why? Why is the media losing circulation to folks like us over at The Daily Wire? Why? Why why, why are people tuning over to the show as opposed to watching CNN? I can't imagine. I literally can't imagine. Donald Trump correctly pointed out that Joe Biden is getting questions from children. This is exactly right. Here is President Trump going after the media. I watched the interview with sleepy Joe Biden, and he didn't ask questions. You didn't ask questions like that. Read the questions. Yes, they were like meant for a child. Those questions were meant for a child. Smiles on faces of reporters, not like you and you. There were smiles on the reporters. What do you think? Take a look at those questions that they asked him. They were not meant for a grown up. They were meant for a child. This is exactly right. By the way, why is it that the media don't ask tough questions like Brett Baer asked Simone Sanders about why exactly Joe Biden 
won't dissociate from people in his own campaign who are trying to spend money to bail out protesters, including Kamala Harris. Why? Okay, why is it that the, the, the Biden-Harris campaign over the weekend, you know, they've been saying we need to follow the science, follow the science, fight COVID, follow the science, follow the science. And then over and over, over the weekend, Kamala Harris suggested that Donald Trump was going to rush out a vaccine, that he would somehow cudgel the medical community into approving the vaccine, and therefore she wouldn't take the vaccine. Okay, this is, this is bordering on anti-vaxxer stuff. It really is. But this is the party of science. This is the party of, of wonder. Here is Simone Sanders. She wouldn't answer if Joe Biden would take the vaccine. Will Joe Biden get the vaccine if it's available? Well, look, Brad, again, as I just noted, first and foremost, I think folks have asked, um, we've had lots of conversations about testing, right? And as folks know now, Vice President Biden and Senator Harris are, are being regularly tested, as are our campaign staff. But first and foremost, at the top of, the mind, at top of mind for Vice President Biden, is are the American people getting what, they're need, what they need? You know, the White House has, has testing, uh, Brad. You know, folks are tested very regularly coming in and out of the White House, anyone who's around the president. But that testing, that level of testing is not available to folks across this country. So um, that is uh, that is not an answer. And then Kamala Harris said that she would literally not trust any vaccine promoted by Trump. She wouldn't trust a vaccine promoted by Trump. Now, again, let's be straight about this. Nobody's asking you to trust Donald Trump on the vaccine. They're asking you to trust the medical community on the vaccine. Are you really of the opinion that Donald Trump can simply cudgel Anthony Fauci and Deborah Birx into endorsing a vaccine that is inherently unsafe? I mean, here is here is Harris implying that on CNN. Let's just say there is a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. Um, I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. And it would have to be a credible source of information that talks about the, um, the efficacy and the, and the reliability of whatever he's talking about. I will not take his word for it. He wants us to inject bleach. I, okay. No, I will not take okay, his so word. So first of all, it's a lie. He doesn't want anybody to inject bleach. But second of all, she literally also said in this interview that she believes that Donald Trump is muzzling his scientists. So even if the scientists endorse the vaccine, so this is the anti-vaxxer kind of stuff. Trump correctly said that Biden and Harris should apologize for the anti-vaccine rhetoric. He is not wrong about this. Biden and his very liberal running mate, the most liberal person in Congress, by the way, is not a competent person, in my opinion, would destroy this country and would destroy this economy should immediately apologize for the reckless anti-vaccine rhetoric that they are talking right now, talking about endangering lives, and it undermines science. Okay, by the way, not wrong about this. Here is a poll from CBS News. This is a battleground tracker. Poll of national registered voters. If a coronavirus vaccine became available, would you get one as soon as possible? 21%. In July, that was 32%. Consider it. Wait to see what happens. 58%. Never get one. 21%. Okay, so literally only one in five American voters say that they would get one as soon as possible. That is down from one in three American voters. And that is because Democrats keep saying that Donald Trump is going to rush out a vaccine in order to kill you. Also, I'm amazed to see that nobody seems to be asking tough questions to Biden and Harris about what exactly they would do on COVID. Remember, part of their campaign strategy was Trump botched COVID. So here was Kamala Harris, who said over the weekend that wearing a mask would be the standard in the United States if they were elected to high office. It's about a national standard. Everyone should wear a mask. And here's the thing about this. None of us likes wearing a mask. Nobody likes to right, wear a mask. There's a difference between a standard. But it's about sacrifice. Right. There's a difference between a standard and a mandate. Would it be a federal mandate under the Biden-Harris administration? It would be a standard. <laughs> Everything's hilarious in the world of 
I've always told my children, if you ever want to identify the villain in a movie, it's the person who's always laughing. Villains are always having a great time in the movies, right? Palpatine's always laughing. It's just, it's fun to be a villain. Uh, so you can identify who exactly is the villain in this scenario. I'm amazed that Kamala Harris and Biden have been able to get away with this. They keep saying that masking would be the standard, the standard. Joe Biden openly acknowledged over the weekend it would be unconstitutional for the federal government to issue a national mask mandate. So here is Joe Biden finally answering. So in other words, his policy is exactly the same as Trump's. Here's, here's Joe Biden. Sounds like you might want a stronger federal, uh, you know, response to this. Oh. And, and, and do you trust the governors to handle what's best for their states? Well, I hope you can trust the governors. But here's the deal. The federal government, there's a constitutional issue whether the federal government could issue such a mandate. I don't think constitutionally they could. So I wouldn't issue a mandate. But I plead with. I carry my mask with me everywhere I go. I'd set an example. Wow. Well, that, that would make a huge difference, Joe Biden, by the way. You know how little people trust their authorities on COVID now? And this is all earned. Here are the polls on how much people trust various sources about COVID. You ready? Your governor. In March, 69% of Americans trusted their governor on COVID. Now it is 55%. The CDC, 86% of people in March trusted the CDC on COVID. Now it is 54%. Donald Trump in March, 46% of Americans trusted him on COVID. Now it is 40%. The national media, 45% trusted them in March. Now it is 35%, 5% below Trump and 20% below their governor. All of that is earned. All of that is earned. The media asking tough questions of the Biden-Harris campaign, as always. All righty. Well, later today, we'll be back here with two additional hours of content, including President Trump saying he could spend up to $100 million of his own dollars on his campaign. We'll analyze that particular claim, and we'll get to Trump fighting back against the military and military members, uh, well, top-ranking military members. We'll get to a lot more. You'll have to go check out dailywire.com. So we will see you here later. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Bible says, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, which is bad news for the Democrats because that's their whole campaign. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.